right. Welcome to Five Compelling Questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we speak with writers about writing. I have a writer today that I am just, I cannot believe she's here. I'm so thrilled to meet Laura Sims. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Laura, for those who don't know, which I can't imagine there's more uh, than two people, is the author of the critically acclaimed novel Looker, now in development for television with E1 and Emily Morton. Emily Mortimer's King Bee Productions, an award-winning poet, Sims has published four poetry collections. Her essays and poems have appeared in The New Republic, Boston Review, Conjunctions, Electric Lit, Gulf Coast, and more. She and her family live in New Jersey, where she works part-time as a reference librarian and hosts the library's lecture series. And today, we're going to talk about her newest book, How Can I Help You? Hi, Laura. Hi, Sean. How, uh, please tell us about the new book. Tell us about how can I help you? Sure. It is about two local librarians, one of whom, Margot, is a former nurse who has a trail of patient, uh, suspicious patient deaths in her past. And she has fled that past to come to the library. She's been working there for a couple of years very peacefully. And then this new woman shows up. She's the new reference librarian, Patricia. And she also has a past, not quite as dark, but she considers herself a failed writer because she couldn't sell a novel that she spent many years working on. So she has decided to put writing behind her and just focus on being a reference librarian. But when the two women meet, they're instantly drawn to each other. Margot is reminded of a friend from her past who betrayed her. Patricia sees in Margot just something really interesting at first. And then she notices her quick changes in demeanor. And she starts to think, oh, this is a character. She's a character for a novel. And that's where the trouble begins. Absolutely. And it's... it's um so well done and it's so funny because it's you know you're a librarian yeah you do part-time like and you're a writer so yep. it's like how how meta can we be you know it's just my two, it's like this, two halves it's my two halves of my personality <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like for a book lover like me like what is the what is the you know that the, it's just so delicious it's just such a fun you know mashing together of these ideas and um the characters are just amazing but so that was my first question I love that you're a librarian um, tell us about the moment that you decided that that would be a good setting for a, a novel. Yeah, I have been working there for about four years, but I was, I never, I didn't work very frequently until the pandemic hit. And then a lot of people didn't want to come back to work. You know, they were working remotely, but I wanted to get out of my house. I was thrilled to come back in. So I started working there more regularly and so I had a lot more interactions and experiences and I started, you know, writing them down a little bit like Patricia does in the, in the book. Um, it's just, I just realized it is such a rich setting. Like you see so much of human life and behavior um, from the very strange to, you know, the normal, but um, it, I also really wanted to, I feel like in the literature I've read that features libraries, there isn't really a realistic vision of the library often. Usually it's this romanticized, like sacred and silent book vault with the, you know, shushing librarian in her glasses and cardigan sweater. 
So I, I realized there was like an opportunity to show people, you know, this is what it's really like. This is what reference librarians do. We don't spend our time doing deep research projects with people. For the most part, we're answering odd questions, helping people use the computer, use the scanner, all sorts of things that, I mean, when I was in library school, I had no idea I would be doing any of that. So that was kind of when I got the idea, oh, this would be a great setting for a novel. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's so cool that you, th you know, you're expanding what the idea of a library is because it isn't just a place to go get your books. Like I go to the library at least once a week in my town and I love it there. And, they're, you know, we have, they have yoga on the roof. They have resources yeah. for, you know, home um, unhomed people that, you know, it's a community place like where we go to Absolutely. also get books. But like to connect and get right. help for, you know right. so it's just yeah it's awesome yeah I think libraries have had to evolve in order to survive into more community centers and I think it's wonderful you know yeah yeah. yeah. And there's always that mystique about the librarians, like through time. It's like, oh, she's just this smart, quiet lady that sits behind the <laughs> desk. But is she really, you know, she really I was, yeah. yeah, I always think of like, you know, Mary from It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> yeah, like she's like the, the quintessential librarian. You yeah, know? But, um, <laughs> I know. The old maid. <laughs> yeah, that quiet, intriguing woman that's probably like murdered a bunch of people or, you know. <laughs> exactly. Oh, good. so you that's just perfectly done nail on the head um so speaking of your uh fascinating characters tell us what it was like to be inside of um, Marco's head and then also Patricia did it how did you go about developing these sort of they're very intricately developed characters and how did you yeah. did you spend a lot of time in their brains and how did that feel <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, I enjoy being in Margot's brain. <laughs> That's not probably not the right thing to say, but I really enjoyed. It's fun to allow yourself to inhabit a brain like that. Um, she was developed in part, at least from Jane Toppin, who was a serial killing nurse in the 1800s. And I learned about her from an episode of the podcast Criminal many years ago. And I had never heard of her, Jolly Jane, they called her because she was very cheerful and she was a great nurse, um, but she was killing her patients, she was injecting them with stuff. And she would also climb on top of them as they died and experience great pleasure as they died. So she fascinated me when I heard that episode and I kind of tucked her in the back of my brain as like a possible character. Um, Patrice, and she was really, when I started the book, it was really Margot and the library. I had those two pieces, but it wasn't, for a while of writing her, I felt like I need a, another level here. I need like another voice. And that was Patricia. Patricia was easy for me, right? Because she is, does my job and she's a writer and, you know, all writers have had plenty of failure. So easy to tap into her bitterness <laughs> um, to create her. But yeah, those were the, those were the two that's how they came to be. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's good. It's so fun to, funny how the story evolves when you have, you know, you have a, you set out with one character, yeah. you know, and then they have to have a foil, you know, right. stuff so, or not. Exactly. But it's like the way you choose that is just so fat. We always, we talk a lot about craft and stuff on the show about how yeah. books come into being and stories come, become into being. And it's, uh, that's fascinating to me always. 
Right. I don't think I, I'm definitely not the only one that thinks that that's cool, but yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. It's interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. And who doesn't love a good, you know, psychopath? Exactly. exactly. And I had not heard, and I'm a murderino and I hadn't heard that, um, that last part of that, what, what that woman was doing. <laughs> that's oh, new. Oh, Jane Toppin. Yes, I know. And she is fascinates me. I mean, I knew I wanted to write a female psychopath serial killer for a long time. And she's so fascinating too, not only because of that, but because she killed for pleasure. And I think that's something that is ascribed always to male killers, but I've never heard that in relation to a female serial killer. So that was fascinating to me. And of course, also that she does it inside of her caretaking role, which is what so many women killers do. It's almost like they're being inadvertently feminist, <laughs> making an inadvertent statement about how women are have been consigned to these roles for millennia. Yeah, so, I like I like how you yeah. I like how you said that. <laughs> the worst kind of feminist. Let's do all the things the way yeah, the perfect way, uh, even yeah. the bad things. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Well, progress is important. <laughs> you got to get there. You got to make it. Pra- you know, right. you got to make it happen. Let's That's let's right. level the playing field exactly. <laughs> um, a couple of I, I always research all you guys before you come on, and a couple of people mentioned in in their comments and reviews about the book um, that it reminded them a bit of Patricia Highsmith, mm. and you know, Europe, Europe fascinating you're a person that's surrounded by books a lot so I was just curious um who were your influences when you were just being when you're reading when you're coming out like who has influenced you over time and you think maybe um influenced your writing in some ways gosh so many people but Patricia Highsmith definitely um especially just her subject matter and the things she writes about and her book, The Blunderer in particular, which I hadn't known about, I had already finished a draft of this and given it to a writer friend. And she said, oh my gosh, you have to read The Blunderer because it is about two men. And one of them, his wife has an accident, so-called accident and dies. And another man reads about it in the paper and says, that man killed his wife and I want to kill mine too. And they kind of do this dance that Patricia, it's similar to P- Patricia and Margot, how they kind of circle each other. Really fascinating. So she's definitely a huge influence. Shirley Jackson, whose book pops up in the, in my book, also a huge influence. But aside from these very dark female writers, I mean, gosh, so I, I read everything, you know, I read all kinds of genres. Um, David Markson um, is, do you know his work at all? He's like a lesser known, there's kind of a, a, he's a cult figure, but he's a very experimental literary fiction writer. And he's the first person I read, the first fiction writer I read, who I thought as a poet, I can do that because he wrote in fragments. So he wrote very fragmented fiction and I loved everything about the style and, and he told, he was telling compelling stories, but they were in these like just lines on the page. So interesting. But um, I mean, Virginia Woolf is a huge influence. A lot of Japanese literature. I lived in Japan for several years and studied Japanese and 
love, love Japanese literature. And I'm so excited because it seems that more and more of it is coming into, um, you know, English translation lately. So um, like Mieko Kawakami is a favorite, Sayaka Murata, all of that. Yeah. Wow. Those are some really interesting recommendations that no one else has ever shared with me. So I'm, I'm going to dive in because I will follow you wherever you go, Miss okay. Laura. I will follow you because you <laughs> are brilliant. I don't know if that's wise. I don't know. <laughs> no, so far you got me. I, if you're starting okay. a cult, I'm in. Just like send me the paperwork. I'll sign. Awesome. I'm, awesome. I'm good. I'll hand it over. All right. So, and, and you know, sometimes these conversations, we do not practice ahead of time. If, if you couldn't tell, we don't, we, we don't rehearse. Um, so, and, and it's so interesting when the conversations flow into my, my next question, naturally. So my next question that you brought up already, um, you're an award-winning poet, as we mentioned in the beginning of the, the conversation. Um, I just always feel like poets are like, it's like magic. I don't understand how you make that happen. <laughs> like it's just it's like, like working with Mercury. Like I don't, I, I don't get like I get the concept, but I don't, I don't know how you guys do that thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's fascinating to me as a as a different kind of writer. How does your process differ between writing poetry and prose, if at all, mm -hmm. or does it, or how do you approach that, or is this a yeah? Just go go That's go. Great, great question. Yeah, very different. And I I think that. I started writing fiction in part because I craved more. Like I, I, you know, with poetry, I could write, and I haven't been writing poems much since I started fiction, but, you know, I would get an instant of inspiration, scribble things down, and then I could put it away, come back to it in these like stolen moments. And at a certain point, I don't know, that stopped being satisfying to me and I want it. And strangely, it coincided with the birth of my son when I had the least time to myself. I mean, I would have 20 minutes a day to myself at first, you know, and that is when I really craved fiction and I would just sit down and write for 20 minutes and just be like building towards something felt very satisfying and so, yeah, the process is so much different. It's much more of a slog. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't really enjoy drafting very much. I tend to draft really quickly and it's so terrible. I wouldn't show my very best friend. Um, and then I enjoy revising and go through many, many drafts. And that's when I'm doing the art part, you know, is, is in revision. So yeah, it is such a different experience. And with poetry, I would do revisions, of course, but it's just the length of time and focus is much shorter for poetry and for fiction. It's, you know, a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like, it seems to me, it'd be like going from like a really tiny studio apartment to like, oh, now I have this giant mansion, but I have to make sure it all yeah. is clean and looks good and it's full right. of stuff. You know? What do I put it's, in it? Yeah. 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 It's exactly. like being able to stretch, but you, I would feel like you as a poet, I am not one, as, as I said, I'm fascinated, but it seems like you would, um, words just must much be, may have more weight when you're a poet. Like you, you know, you're, yes. you're stronger as far as choosing the right words, because you have to be very specific when you're yeah. writing shorter. So it seems like exactly. that would enhance your longer fiction as well 
Yeah, I hope so. Definitely. Yeah, I do care a lot about, and I care a lot about sound, like the sound of the line, even in fiction. I mean, I know fiction writers do too, but um, that's super important important to me. I think I'm really a visual writer, um, which, you know, poets tend to be. So imagery and all of that is very important to me. Yeah, cool. I never heard anyone say that they want, they like the sound of a sentence. That's interesting too. See? Yeah. The rhythm of it. Yeah. Like it has to sound right or I, you know, fix it. That sounds, well, that's very inspiring. That's very inspiring. I love that. Good. Um, so you are accomplished. We can just, we can say that. We can say that you're, you're successful and accomplished. Nice. This, this is my final question. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is an honor. Um, number five, question number five. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? Oh, that's really good. <laughs> Well, <clears throat> I had some of the best advice that I got, and this was actually from that novelist, David Markson, um, who was, we were also became friends. I wrote him uh, like a love letter, basically, after reading his novel, Wittgenstein's Mistress, and we became pen pals and we met and we were friends and we would talk on the phone sometimes and I would tell him like in my 20s and 30s when I was still a poet I was doing lots of things like I was I was working I had jobs of course but I was also like writing reviews I was doing lots of readings I just was splitting myself all over the place and he um, was on the phone with me and I was talking to him like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. <laughs> and he basically said, what are you doing all that for? Do your own effing work. And it was such valuable advice of like, you know, prioritize. You, you have limited time. And I was probably around 30 when he said that to me, but that advice is something I, I would like to go back and tell my even younger self, like, do your work first, like do your writing first. Don't worry about all these little tangential things so much. Like, of course you have to do certain things to live and eat and be sheltered, but don't split yourself to the point where you have trouble doing what you love so yeah I could yeah, have learned that, that's a great that is really great advice and it, yeah. I think we tend to want to do so many and then you have to also reserve time for like your son your, your family exactly. you know things like yeah. that. yep so loading it up too much is just we're and we're yeah. so distracted nowadays like I know. when you know I was younger it was like you didn't have 500 things to be to look at yeah. you know in a minute so I know yeah I think having my son did also help me put that advice into practice I know some writers talk about like oh I had you know I had a hard time writing after my child was born but I had the opposite where it really focused me like okay I've got an hour today I'm not going to mess around. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write. So yeah. yeah, it's like living on campus or off campus. You go to classes more when you're off campus because you've got to go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You stay yeah. there and study. We have the same, that we have that in common because I had my son and that's when I, I sat down. I'm like, oh, I'll have all this time. And I'm like, oh uh, uh, yeah <laughs> but I did I ended up writing my first book after he was born because it was I just stayed home with him and I was like all right well when, whenever naps was like okay this is 10 minutes here 20 minutes here yeah. 
whenever yep. I'm not dro- drooling from exhaustion, I can do something, but also right. your brain is, your brain is softer at that time of your life. It's like taking in all this information. And I think it's just a more creative time for women. Cause you're, yeah. I do, I do feel like your brain like opens up to more sensory things and you're just, your brain is soft. It's not the right word, but softer is what I use, but you know what right. I mean? It's like, like flexible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also think that whole mortality thing kicks in, you know, when you have your living, the person who's going <laughs> to succeed you in your arms. It's like, oh gosh, clock's ticking here. Yeah. That chapter's <laughs> end. My, it's all, all about me is done. Yes, <laughs> <So>. exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, you're you're delightful. Um, so the book comes out this week. Yeah, tomorrow. I, yeah, everyone can be jealous because I got to read it early. Um, mm-hmm. but please tell us: Are you going on tour? What's going on? Are you, where can people find you? Um, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, tomorrow, Tuesday, July 18th, I'll be at South Orange Library, which is where I work. Um, and we're doing a big launch party there. It'll be really fun at six o'clock library hours <laughs> early. And then I'll be in New York City at PNT Knitwear with the amazing Mona Awad as my conversation partner. And that's at seven. And then the next day, Thursday, I'll be in Washington, DC um, at East City Bookshop, seven o'clock with Johannes Lichtman. So, so that's, that's a great story. And then there's more coming, but I don't know. I can't hold it all in my brain right now. <laughs> well, everyone can go to your website and find out um, all the information they need to find you. They Everyone yeah. needs to run out and get this book because it it's just a dream. It's so fun and good and it's just, you're, it stays with you after you're done. Um, but yes, sure. the bookstore in DC is amazing. I'm, we're DC local uh, really? here. So yeah. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I will. Um, no pressure. No pressure. I cannot wait. No, but I, if we're at the beach this week, I am going to, I'm going to track you down. I'm going to find you. Okay, one of these places. Good. I'm going to find you. So thank you so much for being here. Um, you, you're delighted. It's just it's very inspirational to talk to you and get to know a little bit about you and look forward to following all your success and hopefully having you back someday next week. That'd be great. Thank you so much, Sean. This was delightful. Thank you, Laura. Have a good day. You too.